This is the Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good morning to you, Asan. Thank you. I think it's good to start with some introductions. Uh, why don't you go first? Sure thing. So I'm Andrew Workin. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for Blue Cat Networks here in Toronto. I joined Blue Cat over six years ago as the Chief Technology Officer and eventually also the Chief Product Officer. Over the last few months, I've taken this role really focused on our, our go-forward strategy from a product and market standpoint as we continue to scale the organization. Thank you. I'm the Head of Product at Security Compass. I joined Security Compass around nine to 10 years ago when our flagship product, SC Elements, was at its infancy. And since then, I have been focused mainly on growing the software side of the business. And I'm now responsible for the engineering and product side of the company. Fantastic. So Andrew, uh, what does Blue Cat Network do to help with security posture of the clients? We split that into two broad categories. One, we've always done. It's a core value of our product that we've been doing over 20 years, which is we provide critical infrastructure. We provide DNS and DHCP services for enterprises around the world. And those services must be up. They can't be vulnerable. They need to continue to function so that a business can function. One of the security values from a posture standpoint is just ensuring that these critical services are, are up and there's, there's no known vulnerabilities and that we are alerting if there's any issues with these services because obviously a denial of service or another type of vulnerability can take down these services. That's one. And that's more defensive. Also, though, and this is something we've been doing much more specifically over the last several years, is DNS specifically provides a certain threat vectors and the ability, for instance, to have conversations through DNS, whether to command and control or data exfiltration. And, uh, and so we have active strategies to spot and block that sort of traffic. And then the corollary to that is DNS services can provide DNS firewalls, and we've done that for quite some time, including providing some threat intelligence, but allowing our customers to supplement with their own threat intelligence. But that's a world of what's known to be bad. And if it's known to be bad, DNS is a very effective and efficient way to to sort of stop that communication. If you can't look up the address, then it stops there. But we also do some work to, especially if we're seeing domains that look like they might be generated algorithmically or certainly aren't uh, normal, then we can we can block those as well. It could be query types that are obsolete or uncommon. I mean, it could be very much focused on the context of what's making those queries. So taking DNS from what I've always called it, which is a bit of a chump, it sits there trying to answer every question as quickly as it can and doesn't really actually care what the question is. It just tries to answer it and replace that with something that is much more context specific so that we can evaluate the question, determine if it's an appropriate question. And if it's not, at the very least, alert the team in SecOps. Thank you. And uh, let me also tell you and our audience about Security Compass. In Security Compass, our uh, mission has been to help customers manage their cybersecurity without slowing down the business. And in effect, we have our flagship platform, SD Elements, which is a balanced development automation platform that helps 
enterprises reduce the time to take the software to market while building on security and compliance at the scale. Basically, the, the focus is that normally enterprises, specifically the regulated industries, have a lot of processes uh, around the software development practice that to ensure that whatever they make is secure at the end. And that those processes usually slows things down. When it comes to competition and taking the software out, a lot of enterprises are moving to agile, but those processes are getting in the way. We help automate those processes so that by the time the agile manufacturing core of the software is done, the security posture is baked in and everything that is needed from the output of it is already there. Andrew, how do you feel about Zero Trust and the blending of infrastructure and application security? I, look, I think there's, there's a great deal of promise there. You take strategies that companies have been employing over time to try to segment or find other mechanisms to ensure that there can't be any communication between networks or specific devices on the network and backend applications. And, uh, and it's, it's, you're doing that at the wrong level. If we can bring that up to the application level and facilitate network connectivity, if that device and that user who we trust for variety of reasons is allowed to access that application. So it, it provides this higher level construct. And I think that's quite promising because it's very difficult over time to understand why lower level rules were even written in the first place and with too many exceptions. And that becomes a, a bear to manage. So brings it up to that level of the application, which makes a lot of sense. And, and we see that broadly. We see the, the combination of network and network security. And now we're bringing application in there as well, which at, at some level is the determining factor. Are you allowed to access this application? And if so, then the network and network security should facilitate that. And if not, then you shouldn't even be able to touch it. And so it, it brings it to that higher level construct, which I think is critical. I totally agree. I think in the, the industry has had put an unfair amount of pressure and investment on the perimeter side of security, which makes it... Uh, very hard and also once it breaks, which is not a matter of if, but a matter of when, uh, the challenge is that uh, they, it, the, what's behind it was neglected for a while. But I think uh, inevitably it's picking up that uh, every, but every uh, node in the network needs to manage its own, protect its own and its own security and security is only achieved in layers we we have been getting a lot of, we have been seeing a lot of our clients in security compass putting more emphasis on making sure that each of the systems inside the network are secure as if there is no reliance on net on the network perimeter but at the same time the network perimeter is there also to protect and help and it helps uh, with the cloud migrations that is ongoing at the same time. It makes it much easier for the applications to migrate to cloud without needing to rework from the ground up. Oh, for sure. And I think what we're seeing a lot of implementation of zero trust is the 
let's move away from a paradigm where things outside of the network are VPNing in and then acting like they're on the network with all the access to everything. And, and we'll have a zero trust mechanism to allow that device to access this application. But it's still a little bit of the Wild West once you're inside of that perimeter, which still exists as it becomes more porous for a variety of reasons, which still exists for most intended purposes. And I think there's a lot still to do with zero trust as we look at how network traffic is allowed or denied, regardless of the context of where the devices or the endpoint, the entity that's trying to access some service that may or may not be, like you said, it might be in the cloud, it might be in a data center, it might be SaaS, but that's where we want to add some level of, of authorization or trust in general in, in, in get location out of the picture. And so you're seeing not just zero trust network access, but also like overlays of networking technology that can easily allow or deny flows based on something other than a simple firewall rule. And so it, it needs to be at a bunch of different levels too. I agree. We look a lot at, from a DNS perspective, this, at the very least, we look to reduce privilege. I use this example all the time. When our retail customers, you take a specific type of device, let's say it's a point of sale machine, and it normally queries 22 different queue names. So to do its job, whether it's billing or inventory or whatever backend systems, it only queries these 22 different things. And if the 23rd is google.com, it's compromised because we know it doesn't normally do that. And that's reducing privilege. Zero trust is a different perspective where, but it's something that we look at a lot as well. How do we answer a query if the context is that we are unaware of this device or that user on that device? How do we just make DNS blind unless the device is allowed to look up that specific record. And uh, DNS has always looked at an underlying protocol. And if it doesn't work, then nothing works. But that shouldn't be the reason why it's just simply open for everything. Great. Thank you. I think what we are seeing is COVID-19 is pushing the teams to do more with even less. Like I, I think every day CFOs are coming back asking the teams, the delivery teams to not only deliver everything they were supposed to do without uh, the extra heads that they were, they were planning to hire, but also with a much more prudent budget. What's your advice for the teams that are already stressed out? Yeah, it's a good question. It's, there's a little bit of irony there because everything we're trying to do as we try to push software faster, and by we, I just mean software development organizations in general and everything we're deploying, should give us a lot of the tools that we need right now in order to facilitate trying to go faster or get a certain amount of work done. Obviously, if we're no longer hiring or if companies are going through a reduction in force, then you've got less people actually doing the work, but more reason to drive more and more strategies that allow you to be more flexible in the way you deploy. And it's, it's potentially a good opportunity to push on some of those strategies that might've been in the backlog. We, there's a constant debate with a lot of development teams, given the percentage of their capacity they'd like to spend on, for instance, reworking CICD pipelines or automating more of the process, certainly from your domain on the security side as well. Anywhere where we're investing that will create more flexibility and create more automation to reduce 
anything other than writing code and adding features and adding capabilities is positive in general. And uh, certainly if there's stress around COVID, that's the case as well. Obviously, though, there's always risk. You push a team to go harder, you push a team to go faster. There's, there's software developers or software engineers, and at some point, you're going to stress quality. It's proven you know, time and time again. Push too hard, try to drive too much too quickly, quality will falter, and, and quality could mean whether or not this feature is meeting a customer's requirements, but it also could mean whether or not we've introduced vulnerabilities that we didn't know about or could have known about, or making taking other shortcuts that basically create a system that isn't secure. And there's 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 pushback that's necessary from those development teams. Developers in general want to produce quality code. They want to produce quality products. And it's a very frustrating experience when they're asked, and certainly when I was asked in my past, to try to deliver something in a shorter time frame where you're already working as hard as you possibly can. And so you're basically being asked to throw quality out the window. And it's it's a very good way to take a, your development team and really create a poor engagement with them. Thank you. Uh, are you seeing, are, are, do you get asked those sorts of questions from your customers or others from an advice standpoint? Sometimes we do. The interesting thing we are observing from our customers is that the easiest solution to cutting things is to cut the continuous improvement projects. Those feel, the, feel more like the optional things. But at the same time, what we are seeing is that the most successful clients of ours are really fighting to keep those and to even sometimes uh, go faster and invest in there, but in an incremental way. They cut the scope of it so that rather than going broad to the entire enterprise, they'll start line up business by line of business. But this automating things earlier helps them get ahead of things faster. Without that, I think and those are the ones that have seen this happen where you just pile up more and more tech debt and process debt where you have, you are doing a lot of things manually and you don't invest the time to automate these. Then at the tail end of this kind of a pressured time, you end up with more things you can handle. Yeah, and I think to counteract that, and that's always the debate, right? That stuff looks optional. Let's get the features done rework this backend stuff afterwards. And, and I think development teams need to do more to justify that work. And oftentimes that means putting some numbers down. We're going to do this and here's going to be the impact. Sometimes that's difficult to measure and they, they need to look for ways to justify that capacity where it can be justified because it's, yeah, you're, if you're just kicking the can down the road, you're eventually going to have to do that stuff and you're just making it more complicated. And uh, if you can put that into business terms and provide some real guidance in terms of what we're going to save or how much more capacity we'll have based on doing this, that then it's easier to justify. But I think management gets um, frustrated at some point because it seems like there's always some rework to do. I agree. I think critical asset is for engineering teams to be able to communicate in the business terms the benefit. Right these uh, continuous improvement projects. Uh, Absolutely, it, it, it's key. The complexity of the technology is increasing every day. 
and it's accelerating. There are more and more new technologies every day, and there's also more regulatory pressure on the enterprises. With the adoption of the IoT, the surface uh, is also increasing. How do you see enterprises reacting here, and what kind of enterprises have you seen to have had better success adopting uh, to these changes? Yeah, no, it's it's the things that are coming on the network now. Obviously, many of them wouldn't have been allowed before, and uh, they can't have an agent. I can't patch them. I can't log into them. They don't meet my specific security requirements or policies from the past. How do I deal with these now? And then it's it. those are the entities on, but also the tools that people want to use. There's more and more tools, whether those tools are development tools, whether they're new libraries, new source you know, code languages people want to use, new database technology, cloud-based services. So how does an enterprise actually assess those and make sure that they meet their requirements from a security standpoint? So a, a, a couple of points there. One is, I think it's often a mistake to jump on the bandwagon of every new technology that comes out. And they, they often look cool. They're coming out, as you said, faster and faster, but they're also cycling faster and faster. So, you know, that, that operating system you chose to launch your containers on was acquired by so-and-so and they've end of life did and it just creates more work and, and we've certainly had situations like that as well so i think there needs to be some care in that adoption but i think i think the companies at least the enterprises i work those that are dealing with it the best have adjusted their processes in terms of how they assess this new technology not just so they can do the assessments faster but change them fundamentally because it's a, they weren't fast enough. And if you can't assess quickly whether or not these, whether they're endpoints or new services, whether, whether or not they're going to meet your posture, whether or not they are going to mature with you, whether or not they're the right thing to implement right now, if you don't have a new framework in order to assess those, then you're not going to be able to keep up or you're going to always say no. And frankly, the business is just going to go around you. And the same end result needs to occur, which is there are risks with this new thing. Here are the risks. Here's the ones we're particularly concerned about. Here's how we think you should mitigate it. And and if you don't mitigate it, then that's a business decision, but you need to know what the risks are. And that just needs to happen faster. And, uh, and so I've seen enterprises starting to innovate on how they can best qualify whether or not these technologies should be used. I totally agree. What we see, what we have been seeing from our end is a rise in risk assessment uh, processes uh, needing automation because there's just a large volume of these that needs to be done. And the old methods of doing an Excel sheet, passing it around, isn't keeping it up. And I see more and more of the risk departments becoming savvier with technology because in the old times, a lot of risk was coming from financial side and like that GRC practices focused, didn't double click on the technology side of the enterprise much. But what we see today is from vendor risk assessment when purchasing a technology all the way when, uh, to IT risk assessments when implementing a certain like a closed circuit cameras, how they interact when you put it on the internal network versus how are they enterprise ready and all of that. 
is becoming a day-to-day activity and it also becoming a choking point for enterprises that are not ready and don't have the processes set up to evaluate them. Yeah. And I don't, I, and, and I think you're, I think we're to some extent saying the same thing and, and where there needs to be innovation now is how can I assess the risk and, and automation around that is critical it, it, while at the same time, from a technology, we, we talked before about developers wanting to rework stuff on the back end. And, and sometimes that reworking is around processes or automation, but sometimes it's because poor components were selected. And so what we don't want is just floodgates open because you select poor components or implement the wrong IP cameras, whatever the use case is, you're creating debt, you're creating stuff that needs to be reworked and, and nobody wants to do that. And the other piece of advice I would give, and, and certainly what I see people doing is much like we do these days in software is when you implement something, you need to make sure that you're not so reliant on any piece of the technology stack that you can't replace it. So make sure that the, the way that IP camera or whatever is interacting with whatever other systems, whatever backend systems, is, is something that you isn't so brittle that you can't replace one and keep the other. And we have to keep ourselves flexible in the way we use technology. And that means creating some isolation around and not creating massive spider webs where we're so dependent on a specific piece of technology that we can't change it if that decision was a poor one. I agree. I think one one more thing to add is that selection. I think enterprises' needs are different than consumer side. A lot of these New emerging technologies are good for um, consumers, but haven't gone through the hardening needed for the enterprises. And this is where I see something strong partners that know the needs of enterprises, so that, that the partners that provide the technologies that are planning to be used in the enterprise is critical. Oh, agreed. But just let me just add one thing to it, which is, look, I, I think the consumer electronics industry in general has not done a good job of being in any way, shape or form, stewarding the, the security posture of their customers. When you get all of these home routers or home Wi-Fi gateways that have been vulnerable to so much over time with no real mechanism to update them, those that are savvy know how to deal with it. 99% at least of the consumers with these devices never think about it and nor is it in their normal daily routine to think about it. So I do, I 100% agree with you on the enterprise side. I do think that the vendors serving consumers should be a bit more security oriented than they have been historically. I agree. I, I think it's the shared responsibility of the vendors and the consumers uh, yeah. to provide that education and awareness. Many cases, they see it as a business opportunity. What we sold you isn't secure, but if you pay us $23 a month, we'll add these security services on top. And look, I, I get it. I understand it. But but for sure, there's not even necessarily good mechanisms to alert and let people know that what they have might not be secure. But I'll get off that soapbox. Agreed. I, I think I one of the most frequently asked questions I get from my family members are, is what kind of antivirus should I buy to not these bad things don't not to happen and I, I keep shaking my head it's like it's not just your antivirus software that you need to worry about lots oh, of other sure. factors in there yeah absolutely uh, that's uh, great any final thoughts uh, before we finish the session 
No, I, I think a lot of what we talked about is the reality today where security in the way we develop software and the way we deliver that software to the market or in the way we develop devices and deliver those devices can't be an afterthought anymore or can't be a separate process. And much like we see network and network security coming together from a technology standpoint or bringing in application security as well, that's also how we're structuring development teams and development methodology now. We can't consider these things separately. There's not time to consider them separately. The technology is too complex to consider them separately. And, and I just think it's critical that companies continue to, to look at the look at the world that way. Agreed. There's no silver bullet in, in the security industry. We, everybody needs to embrace security, making security in from the start. It can't be an afterthought just because. Absolutely. Thank you very much for this good conversation. I wish you a good day. Thank you. Good talking to you. All right. Can't get enough of the balancing act? Make sure to check out our website at www.securitycompass.com and be sure to subscribe to our channel for more episodes.